the hams forward. Uh, the Mr. and Mrs. Doug ham, I suppose, since we've got multiple ham families. <laughs> I guess one family. He's the patriarch. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, would you pray with me as uh, we welcome, as we welcome uh, Doug? Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for this couple. We thank you for the ministry that they've done over the years. Uh, we thank you for the ministry that they're doing now and supporting missionaries around the world. Holy Spirit, we're blessed that you've not left us as orphans, but that we're connected to you through Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen the connections um, that this couple has made, that they would be true and life-giving connections to you as they serve your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father Sean, for that prayer, for that introduction. Thank you for the nice write-up in the bulletin. Um, he pretty much explained it already, so I don't have much to say. No, um, I want to also thank you for the opportunity to worship with you today and for Leah for playing a pipe organ today. I really miss hearing an organ in church. And so, is this on, by the way? Okay. There. Okay, there we go. Um, yes, my wife and I are Ryan and Nicholas's parents, whether they want to claim that or not. Um, but we're privileged to be their parents. We also have two more daughters, um, Johanna and Katie, that live in the Omaha area, Omaha, Nebraska area with us. We do want to thank you for adopting Nicholas. Um, I asked him today if he enjoys being a Cleveland person, and he said he does. And so thank you for helping him feel welcome here in Cleveland as he's um, adjusting to his new employment and to living um, here and not with us any longer. For more than 20 years, um, our family were missionaries with an organization called Child Evangelism Fellowship, living and serving in Europe, specifically working in the countries of Serbia and Montenegro, which were part of former Yugoslavia, uh, located in southeastern Europe. Um, if you can picture a European map in your mind and you're not sure where Serbia and Montenegro are, but you know where Greece is and you know where Germany is, think somewhere in the middle and you'll be about right on target as to where Serbia and Montenegro are. Or if you know where Italy is, Montenegro is right across the Adriatic Sea from Italy. Uh, we um, saw many... Um, we saw many amazing things through our years of service in Europe with CEF. We saw many highs as we witnessed the fall of communism in Eastern Europe. Um, our kids were very involved in refugee ministry with us as the wars of Yugoslavia in, um, engulfed the country in early 1991 as we were part, uh, or as we were involved in, in that in serving during those war years in both sides of the front lines, as it were, in Croatia and Serbia, working with um, Baptist Union Humanitarian Organization in Croatia and a joint Baptist uh, Brethren humanitarian group in the Serbian side. And so especially Ryan and our daughter Johanna were alongside of us um, 
doing whatever we could to help the refugees in the distribution of humanitarian help, also having meetings for the kids, for the moms, for the grandmas that were in the various refugee camps on both sides. It was an eye-opening experience for all of us as a family. Um, and then as we moved into Serbia, after living in Vienna, Austria at first, we moved to Serbia in early 1996, where God had clearly led us to be involved in ministry in that country, um, raising up a team of nationals to be involved in the ministry of evangelism and discipleship of kids and their parents, helping them get established in good churches, helping them be discipled in their faith, and witnessing how God brought into our lives nationals, um, men and women of faith, people who became more than just colleagues, people who became close friends, who be, people who became our family in Europe, people for whom it was very, very difficult for us in 2012 to realize that our European years were done and to pack up and leave Europe and return back to the, to the United States in what is supposed to be our home country but yet sometimes we admit we still grapple with the idea that we, this is our home because we lived in Europe for so many years. Um, I'm sure if you wanted to uh, spend time chatting with Ryan or Nicholas, they would have many stories to share with you about their growing up years in Europe, how that impacted their lives, what it meant for them to be missionary kids um, living with us and growing up um, far away from uh, family and friends here in the U.S. But in 2012, as I said, God made it very clear that our years were done in Europe and we returned to the U.S. and not exactly sure what it meant to be returning to the U.S. And we were very much in a state of flux, a state of transition. Um, we knew that God said, yes, go back to the U.S., go back to our home country but we weren't clear yet as to what God wanted us to do. Although in our hearts for years, we had had a passion, a desire to be coming alongside of missionaries to encourage them, to be a help to them, to be a shoulder for them, to cry on, to laugh on, to rejoice with. But how that was all gonna happen, we weren't sure. And then about a year and a half ago, we were at a conference in North Carolina. And at this conference, a friend of ours from Europe he lives uh, in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and his family and our, us had been together in Vienna in the early 90s. Our kids had gone to school together. We'd gone to the same church together. But this friend was at this conference. His name is Stuart. We had no idea Stuart was going to be there. And so it was a surprise for us. It was a surprise for him, but a good surprise. And of course, we spent much time together um, just catching up on family news and what was happening in our lives. But during that conference, um, Stuart began to talk to us about an organization called Paraclete. We had never heard of Paraclete Mission, um, we, but we knew that Stuart was acquainted with it. We knew that Stuart had some contacts with us. And the more he talked with us and the more he encouraged us to pursue a possibility of working or being missionaries with Paraclete, the more it seemed that perhaps God was leading us in that direction to make contact. And so about a little over a year ago, we made an initial contact with Paraclete and through a series of interviews and Skype talks and formal applications, et cetera, last July we were accepted as full-time missionaries with Paraclete Mission Group. And effective January 1st this year, we had no more 
uh, responsibilities with Child Evangelism Fellowship using the fall months to transition from CEF full-time into Paraclete. And before I go on, I do want to thank you for being a part of our support family, for going with us in this new path with Paraclete, for being there with us as part of our supporters, as part of our prayer partners. We are very, very grateful to you and thank you very much for that decision and that desire to be a part of this ministry in our lives. But why Paraclete? Why did we leave CF and join Paraclete? Um, we want to back up a little bit in time. New Year's Eve, 1998. Um, fireworks were going off because in Europe they do fireworks on New Year's Eve. People do, not just the city, but people do. And you can go and buy amazing fireworks that we could never have here in the U.S., which is a pity if you like fireworks. And so fireworks were going off and there was the occasional burst of machine gun fire because Serbs like to go outside during celebrations and shoot machine guns off. I don't know why, but they do. I've always figured if you shoot the bullet up, it's gonna come down and hit you, but maybe it doesn't, I don't know. But anyway, all this was going off and people were celebrating and looking forward to 1999 as perhaps a year that was gonna be a whole lot better for them than 1998. For us, we were already in a dark place, and as the seconds ticked to the new year, that new year was going to be even darker for us than 1998. We had, um, by this time, we already had a number of nationals that were on staff with us. We also had two American families that were with us um, as part of the CF ministry team for Serbia and Montenegro. But some of those relationships had already fallen apart, um, particularly amongst the Americans. There were some nasty things that were being said, things that we didn't even know about. Um, we were frustrated. We didn't know what was happening. We could not, and, and there were other more practical things that were happening at the time. We could not bank in Serbia. We had to have a bank account in Hungary. We had to have a bank account in Austria. We had a bank account in the U.S. Uh, you know, imagine three international bank accounts in three different countries because we couldn't get money. We couldn't do those kinds of simple things in Serbia. Um, we had nationals, and so every month I was going out and I was bringing wads of cash back into Serbia to pay our nationals and also to pay our bills and those kinds of things like our rent, electricity, and that kind of thing. Um, we were under investigation by the secret police. Our landlady was called in and questioned about our life, about what we did, where we go to church, why we go to church, what's going on, and why are they here? Nobody wants to be in Serbia. Why are these Americans here? This is crazy. Everybody wants to leave Serbia and not come to Serbia. And so our, our landlady was afraid. Um, we, I was called in by the secret police. We were very much fearful that we were going to be deported. Um, we also were told to evacuate because there was a fear of war in um, the fall of 1998. Even though there was no war, we didn't know why we were told to evacuate, but there we were. And so as 1998 came to a close and 1999 entered, we were already reeling, not, uh, not knowing that within four months, we were going to be very much to the edge, if not off the edge. Because in those next four, sorry, three months, in those next three months, um, we had had a visit by our European leader, an encouragement visit, he called it. And during that visit, we were called, labeled failures. Uh, it was very clear that he did not trust or respect us as missionaries. 
Uh, he did not trust or respect the decisions that were made, made on the field in Serbia. Um, we found out that the Americans that were, had been a part of us had said things that we didn't know about, and so we were being blamed for their departure. Um, but even more than that, war was on the horizon, but this time it looked very real. This time there was no doubt there was going to be war. And as January, February rolled along, and as we entered into March, things got very, very scary. There, was a, I had, there were a lot of th reports that I was receiving from the U.S. Embassy. Um, I had somehow been able to obtain daily press briefings from the Pentagon, the State Department, through the Embassy, and things looked really ugly. And as we listened to the BBC, as we watched CNN International, as we watched Sky News, um, there was nothing encouraging about any of the news reports that we were receiving. And as March went on, it looked darker and darker and darker. And I was in daily contact with our home office here in the US and with our European director, um, letting them know the things that we were hearing on the ground, things that we were hearing from the people in the country, and just wondering you know, what, what's going to happen, what should we do, what can we do? And then finally we were told we had to leave, not by the government, but by our mission office. They said, you need to get your family out of there now. Ironically, we couldn't leave because our passports weren't at the police station trying to renew our residence visas for Serbia. Go figure, we're about to blow Serbia up and our passports, we're trying to get residence visas and they gave them to us. Um, so we could not leave. And so the 23rd of March, um, it, it was a very, very desperate day. We wanted to leave, we couldn't. All the other missionaries, there were about five or six families, um, other uh, five or six foreign missionary families also living in Serbia. They were on their way out of the country. They said we could go with them, but again, we couldn't leave. We didn't have our passports. They were at the police station. That night, the 23rd of March, around midnight, um, listening to the BBC, we heard the news report that final activation orders had been given for NATO to begin military action. And what that meant was they could start bombing at any time. Our missiles could start falling, could start raining upon Serbia, naval uh, vessels could start bombing, ships, you know, whatever could happen, could happen at any moment. Sleep was not very possible that night. We didn't know would the bridges be bombed during the night? Would they close the borders? Would we be taken as human shields? There were rumors going around that the Serbian government was gonna take foreigners and tie them to radio station towers and things like that to keep the Americans from bombing those places. We didn't know. Furthermore, would they give us our passports the next day and let us out? Our landlady had said, I will go with you and fight for your passports if I have to. So the morning of March 24th, we slowly made our way to the police station I walked in, our landlady went with me, and they just silently handed us our passports with a look of resignation, knowing that nothing good was going to happen that day. We said our goodbyes, and we headed north to the Hungarian border about two hours away, again, not knowing would we even get out of the country, would the borders be closed. We got to the border, the border police Again, just took our passports, stamped, gave an exit stamp, and sent us on our way, again, with that look of resignation, like, okay, 
They're leaving. This means it's going to be bad. We crossed into Hungary and we arrived in Budapest where the CF Hungarian offices are, where we were able to stay for a few days before we could arrange for transportation back to the U.S. But our hearts were full of grief. Our hearts were so heavy. Our hearts were full of guilt. We had passports. We could leave. But what about our friends? They were there. Nothing could be done for them. We didn't know if they would live if die, or die. If the bomb had hit their house, what would happen? And so we arrived in Budapest. We arrived back in the U.S. so full of despair, so full of mixed up emotions, so full of guilt, so full of sadness, so full of darkness, and not knowing where to turn, what to do, who we could even talk to. We had no one to talk to. Oh, yeah, we prayed, and we knew the verses in scripture, they were there, but in those days, it was as C.S. Lewis describes it in his book, A Grief Observed, when he talks about the click of the lock and the door and the steps going away in silence. Calling out to God, but as if God wasn't there, God didn't hear. Where are you, God? What's happening? Don't you care? Nobody we could talk to. The loneliness, I call it the loneliness of loneliness. If you've never been lonely before, it's very difficult to understand what that concept, loneliness of loneliness is. But we were in that place, that very dark place. And there we stood, there we remained in that dark place. Yes, we did return to Serbia after about a year. We couldn't stay there. It was not safe for us as a family to be there with our three kids. Ryan was by that time living with a family in Vienna. And so we received permission to move back to Vienna. But still, so empty, so lonely, so fearful, so depressed, so sad. What to do? And it wasn't until about 2002 that a friend whose husband was now our new boss said, you guys need help. And it was at that moment in 2002 that we had the first freedom to begin to tell our story. The first time that somebody would just sit down with us and allow us to share. We were able to go to a place and for two weeks cry, laugh, remember, rejoice, despair, go through everything that had happened and just pour it all out. Just hours and hours of just dumping everything that happened over the past four or five years. Things that we had never, ever been able to tell before. And during those two weeks, God began to work in our hearts and my wife and I began to tell each other, you know, if we can ever come alongside of missionaries or Christian national workers who are going through similar things and be there for them, we want to be those people. We, we never want to see someone have to be so alone and so sad or so full of despair because of all these things that are going on and no one is there to care. No one is there to hear. No one is there to listen. No one is there to just sit silently with them as they cry, as they wonder, as they ask questions. We want to be there for people who are mad at God, who are saying, God, why? During those times, some of my best friends in life, I've never met them yet, I hope to one day. One is Job. Job, we hear about the beginning when all those bad things happened, and at the end when God gave him back double again. But we don't hear very much about the middle. 
But if you carefully read the book of Job, when Job's so-called friends are not yelling at him, Job is crying out to God and he's saying, God, I don't know what, why this happened. I don't understand it. Where are you? What did I ever do to you, God? And Elijah, we read about Elijah on Mount Carmel and calling the fire down from heaven and the altar burns up and, and people are on the ground praising God and it's amazing. But we kind of skip over the next chapter, chapter 19, when in less than 24 hours, Elijah is running for his life because he is so afraid of Queen Jezebel. Jezebel has said, I'm gonna kill him. And so Elijah's running. He's saying, God, just kill me now. I've done everything you've asked, but what's it gotten me? Nothing. They wanna kill me? I, I don't understand this God. And so I came to understand, came to realize, you know, the Bible is filled with real people who are asking real questions of God, who are crying out to God, and people who don't understand what God is doing all of the time. And never is God yelling at them. God doesn't kick them out of the house. God doesn't kick them down the street. God doesn't beat them up. He listens to their cries. He listens to their questions. He's not afraid of questions. He's not afraid of crying. And so as we told our story, as we began to understand that God is more than ready, more than happy to listen to our cries, to, to himself embrace us, though we may not feel that embrace, things began to look up. There was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, so-called proverbial tunnel, when we could see that, okay, yes, I think maybe we can start to dream again. Maybe we can start to trust God again. I don't know. I was in a period where I believed that God was gonna kill my wife and all the kids, and so I had to do everything I could to control God, which, you know, how can you control God? You really can't. But I would do whatever, you know, I would keep both hands on the steering wheels or driving and be really, really alert and really like sitting up straight so that, you know, that God would not make the steering wheel go like this and we'd have a car accident or something. And I'm sure the kids were freaked out when I, you know, like, no, you can't go into the city or no, you can't do this because I was afraid they might get killed or something like that. And so I was almost sometimes con so controlling because I have felt that I had to do what I could to protect my family from being killed by God. But again, God so graciously began to open his word, began to show us who more, more of who he is. He began to bring us to, back to a place of where we could trust, where we could really live in his grace and his mercy. Now, have I come to a point of full, like, um, full, complete rest in God? No, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Our last term, some, things, some similar things happened that, were in the, that we thought were in the past and they weren't. Things that beat us down a bit, things that still affect us today. But God again and again and again shows that he is God, I'm not God. He didn't walk away, he didn't lock the door and just silently leave us alone that God has been there all of the time. He's still with us. He's still working in us. And he has brought us to the point 
where we are able to come alongside of missionaries, of Christian national workers, to be a paraclete for them. Paraclete is most famously used in scripture in the chapter previous to what Father Sean read um, a little while ago in John chapter 14, when he talks about the Holy Spirit coming to be a comforter. And that word is parakletos. I love using Greek in church because it makes me sound really official. Um, but it means basically to come alongside of, to be a helper, to be a comforter, to be there for someone. And the idea of paraclete our, our, our goal, our view, our, our, sorry, our goal, our desire as paraclete missionaries is to be that paraclete, to be alongside of people who need someone to talk to, who need someone to hug them, who need someone to listen to their story, who need someone to not preach at them, perhaps not even say one word, perhaps just to sit there beside them and let them pour out their hearts to God. Someone that can understand a little bit of what they're going through or what they have gone through. We didn't experience everything. We didn't experience the worst. No, we didn't. No one died. None of us were killed. But we can still be there for those who are just enduring things that are very difficult to understand by those who have never lived cross-culturally who are still back in the home country. It's very different living cross-culturally than going on holiday cross-culturally. There are things that we take for granted here that just don't work somewhere else. And all of those things, they can combine to just like make your mind insane sometimes because why is this? We, this is just crazy. You know, why does it take a whole half day to go to the bank? Well, because it does. Why is it so scary to go to the post office? Because they yell at you. Well, why do they yell at you? Because you're in the wrong line. Well, why are you in the wrong line? Because in some countries, post offices are more than mailing letters. You do a whole bunch of things at a post office, like pay your bills, like put money in a savings account. And if you're not in the right line, they will yell at you until you go to the right line. And then you're a big long line that you're starting all over again and you just go crazy because you're trying to figure it out and you're mad and you're sad and you're crying because I don't know what I did wrong. And so those are just some of the little things besides trying to get visas, trying to stay in a country, trying, trying to be in a country where you can't be missionaries. That was our situation in Serbia. We couldn't be missionaries there. So what do you tell the police when they ask you, what are you doing here? There's no course in Bible college called how, to be a, how not to be a missionary 101, but be a missionary. You can't, there's, no, you know, there's no spy course in, in Bible college for missionaries. And so we can be there alongside of those people. The Apostle Paul, in first, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he penned some words that are what I guess you could call the core verse, core verses of paraclete mission, but also some of our core verses as we move ahead in paraclete and the care of missionaries, but uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction 
because of the comfort which, which, with which we ourselves are or have been comforted by God. God placed people in our lives who provided us the opportunity to tell our story, who provided us the opportunity to cry, to laugh, to rejoice, to remember, to rant, to rave, to praise. God used them to bring comfort into our lives. And now we're excited and thankful that God has led us to paraclete, that God is opening doors for us to come alongside of others who also have that need to cry, to praise, to rant, to rave, to rejoice for someone just to be there. I'd like you to remember three things to pray for as you might think about us. And by the way, we do have very nifty prayer cards out here that my wife will be somewhere out there. There are enough for everyone to take one. There's also some other information about Paraclete. Feel free to take that. You can also sign up for our e-bulletins, email newsletters if you would like to get those. Um, But three things that we would like you to pray for. First of all, three people, Victoria, Jane, and Maymay. Victoria, Jane, and Mamie. Victoria's a little baby. She was born almost two weeks ago in Montenegro. She's the first child of some of our close ministry network friends in Montenegro. She's been in the hospital those two weeks. The healthcare system in Montenegro is, um, to be generous, not very good. And Victoria had some um, breathing problems when she was born. But to this day, she's still an incubator. The doctors won't let the mom, mom even pick her up and hold her. She can maybe rub her back a little bit. Um, But they keep talking about how they're going to run tests and things that are unnecessary or we don't have the equipment to run these tests or whatever. And so mom and dad are, are frustrated. They're scared. They don't know what to do. But there's nothing they can do except trust God that he'll just somehow take care of this and they'll be able to bring their little baby girl home very, very soon. But pray for Victoria. Jane. Jane is a hospital chaplain in Austria. Jane goes and she shares the gospel with people who are hurting, people who are sick, people who are dying with families. But she's also under incredible pressure by other chaplains because they'll come to her and say, why do you talk about heaven? Do you actually believe there's heaven? Do you actually believe there's God? And Jane says, how can you as a chaplain not talk to people to give them hope? Even the chaplains don't believe that there is heaven or God or hope. And so Jane's in a very tough place, but in a very amazing place as she's able to minister in a gentle way in in the hospitals in Vienna, Austria. And then for Maymay, Maymay is a missionary in Asia. And she is in a new role but she is enduring some, let's say, leadership abuse. Not physical abuse, but emotional leadership abuse from someone that is over her, and she doesn't know what to do. She's really frustrated, and she spent a long time talking with Jan, my wife. So Victoria, Jane, and Maymay. And then number two, pray for our ministry network team in Serbia and Montenegro. We've had some of them with us in the U.S. for about five weeks. We just dropped uh, three of them off at Dulles Airport and Reagan Airport in Washington, D.C. on um, Thursday, I believe it was. 
And we have another family that's joining us in a couple of weeks. They're going to be with us for about a month simply to just get completely away and rest. Pray that we can be that place of rest for this family that's coming from Serbia. Pray that they will be strengthened, that they will be renewed, that when they need to talk, they can feel freedom to talk, that we will be good listeners and good carers and servants for them. And then finally, number three, we're planning to return, Lord willing, to Serbia at the end of summer for about two weeks, partly to provide a time of Sabbath rest for some of the ministry team there, and also a time of celebration as they are gathering together as a CF ministry team to honor two of the nationals who have been with CF for 20 years and also say goodbye to one of them who's leaving after 22 years of ministry to go into um, deaconess work in the country of Germany. And so just pray that as we go, we would be an encouragement that God would provide the funds necessary for that trip and that as we come back after about that two and a half weeks, it'd just be a time of real strengthening and refreshing not just for us, but for all of the ministry team that God will bring across our path during those times. Thank you for letting me share with you this, this afternoon. I really, really appreciate that. We really do. And thank you again so much for your kind and faithful support for us through your prayers, through your gifts. And thank you again, Father Sean, for the opportunity to share with the church family today. God bless you all. Thank you. And we'll, uh, you'll be available after the service for questions, yes. and you and Jan, yes. so please feel free to, to ask them questions about that if you'd like to know more. Thanks.